All right. Welcome back to Shellyville, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I understand it's been a little break with Justin and I, and so we're going to get caught up with ourselves and everybody. And we really want to talk today, at least I do, about what it's like to live with a mental health illness. Um, Everybody knows my story with Jackson. What you don't know, and I haven't shared, is that for the last six months or longer, Jackson cut me out of his life. And being cut out of my son's life really had a mental darkness for me. Like it put me in a dark space. And although I'm Shelly and I have a lot of fun and I enjoy my life, there's this undercurrent of pain. And so I really want to talk about what it's like to live with someone who suffers, what we do individual um, for ourselves so that we can get through it. And then also just, you know, my basic tips on how to how to be more positive in a world that seems to be very dark and depressing right now. Um, so <laughs> that's what I want to talk about. How are you, Justin? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's good to be back. And um, yeah, it was July was the craziest month that I've had in a long time. I think we I, I looked at my calendar. I was gone 17 days out of the month, just out of town, either in Texas or in the UP. And I love uh, vacation. So that was all vacation for fun? Yep. yep. Oh, I love it. We did uh, 10 days in Texas and we did uh, a week in the UP. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah, Wonderful. it was crazy. I did a week in Frankenmuth kind of with my family. That was my big, 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 big Italian mm-hmm. family reunion. Yep. So that's always fun. What'd you do in Texas? Uh, I went to my sister's house. Um, I have two older half sisters that live uh, just north of Dallas. And um, so you went in July. Wait a minute. Wasn't it like in the hundreds? It was. Oh, my God. They have a pool, though. Okay. So they have a pool in the backyard. So and and I'll say this. It it is a little different because when it gets hot here, Mm -hmm. um, typically that comes with it being pretty muggy as well. Um, in Dallas, it's a very dry heat. And so a lot of times, um, you know, you're, unless you're directly in the sun, it's actually pretty tolerable. Um, so especially if you have access to jump in a pool when you get a little too toasty, that that helps. So, oh, that sounds fun. Well, Mm -hmm. what did you go and do other things around the the area or, um, we went to top golf, um, on my nephew's, uh, nephew's birthday. I believe he just turned 20. And, uh, one of, uh, one of the guys that stood up in my wedding, Logan, um, shout out Logan. He, he -hmm. just took a job about a month prior about 30 minutes from where my sister lives. So he actually came up and hung out with us quite a bit. Oh, how fun. Um, and, uh, and he has, he has an aunt that lives there, but outside of that, he doesn't really have a ton of friends or family in the area. So he needed to see you. Yes. Kristen and Dave, my brother and sister, uh, my sister and brother-in-law, um, they kind of uh, quasi adopted him and <laughs> he may be sleeping on their couch right now for all I know, but, oh my God, um, I love it. but so yeah, that so everybody out. got along and yeah, it was, it was great. Everybody needs somebody. Yep. Everybody needs somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's sweet. That's fun. That is that connection. Yep. That is that connection. So my family was the big Italian family reunion. All my cousins, my mom and dad, or this was my mom's side. My mom had six sisters. No, I think there's seven or eight. It was a big family. It was all girls. But all of my aunts and uncles have passed on. So this was all of us cousins. And every family was represented, which was really cool. So that was kind of a fun, you know, it was a good 
It was a good time. Although awesome. we had kind of rainy weather that mm-hmm. day, but but everyone showed up and it was so sweet to see so many Italians in one place. That's amazing. Speaking so cool. of so many people, and I have to bring up the story because it is the funniest thing. And I'll show <laughs> you a video after. But we, uh, so we went camping in the UP uh, okay. in Grand Marais, which is a beautiful area. Is that up by Marquette or where is so it? So it's about an hour east of Manistique. Okay. M- Manistique, Manistique, some, some, mm. wherever Pictured Rocks yes. is. It was okay. about an hour east there. of there, okay. right on Lake Superior. Oh, lovely. And we went camping. It was us and our two kids and then five other families oh. that we just had campground or little campsites all next to each other Fine. and between the six families i believe there are 14 kids total and claire is eight she's the oldest and she's the only one there older over the age of five so oh we've got 13 God. kids all five camping? and younger all camping wow uh, the youngest i, I want to say that. was probably um i think there was like a nine month old um that that That's came along tiny. and then yeah and then most of the kids were between the ages of two to four. I'll say they that. They were having a blast. And it was a blast for everyone. And uh, every everybody brought bikes, in, including like some of the two, three-year-olds that had the little <laughs> Strider bikes without the pedals. That, and so we did a, we, we did a parade. Oh, how where fun. We had all of the kids on their bikes and, and I was the parade marshal. Of I was course. the only adult on a bike. And, um... And so we, so all of the kids got behind me and we lined up and we started Did riding our bikes. Did you line up bikes. by age? Did you like do no, it like No, no, little, no, no. It was just, just a, it, it was just a conglomerate mess of, <laughs> of kids. Not organized. And I was the parade marshal and I had a Bluetooth speaker that was, that I had uh, hooked up to my bike and I was blaring Motley Crue <laughs> and I had a beer in my hand and I'm leading this pack of kids <laughs> down the road of the campground and some of like it, you would just see like I'd be driving by and I'd pull past an RV and someone would kind of look at me and they'd see me and then they'd see this gaggle of little minis just right behind me and the laughs and the looks that I got were just <laughs> priceless. People so, were probably clapping. It, yeah, yeah. Everybody <laughs> loved it. It was the funniest thing. Oh, how sweet. That's yeah. a memory those kids will keep for a while. Yep. Oh yep, my gosh, how sure. fun. So did they stay up late or did they crash early and then the kids just sit around the fire pit? Yeah, I or? think um, <clears throat> we did bedtime around nine, but it's interesting up there, you know, you're so far north, the sun really doesn't, it doesn't get dark until like 10, 15, 10, 20 at night. So mm-hmm. uh, we tried to put the kids down between nine and 10 <laughs> and I think a couple nights they stayed up late past 10. So. <laughs> They're like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. You're up. Yeah. Oh, how fun. Mm-hmm. So is that something that you've done before with this group of friends or? Never a camping trip. Um, Jen and Casey, they, they, Casey has been going to this campground since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so it's a tradition that they've, um, that they've had with their kids forever. Mm -hmm. And then last year, um, they, they brought another family or two, um, and it worked out really well. And so Mm -hmm. this year they invited, I think they invited seven families and six ended up coming. Wow. It was, it was awesome. Oh, that sounds like something you could do every year and just have I, so many. I think many... it's going to become a, yeah. a tradition. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So, all right. So let's get into it. Okay. What are we talking about again today? Uh, Living love... with mental illness. Yes. What it's like. All right. Well, we know. Now, do you mean by you personally living with mental illness or living in proximity to it with well, a loved one? a little bit one? of both. Okay. A little bit of both. I mean, 
I don't tell a lot of people that I have bipolar. It's like, it's it's nobody's business. But I think most people have an idea. I have a high level of energy. I'm pretty outgoing. I mean, it's not that my bipolar is, I'm, I don't, I've never been hospitalized. I've, I've had one manic episode and I've had one severe depression. Now, the reason why I call myself bipolar is because it's a genetic disorder. Once you have it, you have it. It's not going to go anywhere. I have just so well treated it. And it's such a minor thing that I don't really describe it as myself, but I know that I am. Okay. So I know that I have the the moods. I know that I can really be triggered by things. I pay attention to my sleep. I pay attention to my behavior. Growing up, I probably had a lot of anger, a lot of irritability. I probably was far more active with the depression part of it when I was younger. So living with it is just understanding my own triggers to it, understanding my own mental illness, working on my self-esteem. Like, I mean, I've looked at my pattern of my behavior and where I've had to pay attention and self-awareness and journal writing and and mindfulness and all my practices. So I work really hard on managing myself and being proud of who I am. That's one part of living with mental illness is knowing that it exists and that I'm doing the best I can to manage my symptoms. And that's kind of what I do as a therapist, right? People come with symptom problems. They talk to me about where they're at and then I'm trying to help them cope and figure out what's best for them. So that's the work that I do. What I don't talk about much is what it's like to be a mom, because when you have a child that suffers from a mental illness, he has the ability to just throw me (laughs) into like this massive space that I don't talk. I don't have anyone to really talk about, like what it feels like to to watch someone suffer is it's painful. It, it, It is. It is hard to put into words the emotional things that I experience, not because I (laughs) want to control it, just because it happens. And it's just it's a natural and normal response for me to feel pain, to feel scared for him, to say extra prayers. This last year when he cut me out, you know, being cut off from someone who has a mental illness. There's always that fear that they're going to go hurt themselves and I'm not going to know about it. I'm going to hear about it or get a bad phone call. Now, I am very lucky and grateful to my ex-husband because he kept me informed. He kept telling me what was going on. He had his eyes on him. So that was very different than most people who have maybe a homeless child or someone out on the streets that nobody can keep in contact on him. At least I did have eyes on him. So that made it easier for me. But it didn't take away my pain. It didn't take away the fact that I still hurt because he wasn't communicating with me. And so now um, Savannah came home in early July um, for our family reunion, and I got to see her. And one day we stopped on the way to the Tigers game. We stopped to see Jackson. (laughs) And he... It was the sweetest thing. It was like the six months didn't even exist. I mean, he looked at me. He's like, oh, wow. He goes, mom, he goes, you look five years younger. I'm like, what? (laughs) You're going to give me a compliment after you haven't talked to me in six months? I'm like, I I was surprised I looked younger because I felt like I was really carrying some stress. But it was the sweetest compliment. And then 
that was it. We've been talking ever since. He's actually got plans to come and hang out with me this weekend. That's amazing. Shocking. Mm -hmm. Like just shocking. And what it's done for me mentally. Like to have that connection again and to see him healthy, see him back being funny again. Well, the best part about this is that he's had the same group of friends I've talked about before. These guys have always been there. And um, Declan, one of his best buddies, and <laughs> I call him my son. He's like, Mom, he goes, Jack's always like this. There are moments when Jax is very antisocial and cuts all of us out. He goes, we're here. We show up. We bug him. We get in his face. And then we walk away. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get the chance to do that because we live far away. So it was really confirming to me that as long as someone has somebody to check up on them, that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't me. I didn't get to be the one. I didn't get to be the one to have eyes on him, but somebody was. So when you're living with the mental illness or you're living with someone and you know someone who has severe depression or you know someone who is really suffering from anxiety and has isolated themselves, They do need someone to check up on them. We need people to understand that there's moments we're not going to be in our best spot. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'll piggyback. And it's interesting that story that you brought up because there's a, um, are you familiar with Johnny Manziel? No. Okay. So Johnny Manziel was a, uh, he was a star quarterback in high school in Texas. He, um, he just ended up being an absolute stud, um, ended up going to Texas A&M and as a fret, he was the first freshman, the first true freshman to win the Heisman Trophy. Wow. That's awesome. um, That happened back in 2012. Okay. And he, and, and and the fame that came with him, with that, um, he didn't, he didn't know how to handle it. He's an 18 year old kid Mm -hmm. and he got the nickname Johnny football. It was this whole alter ego. Oh, wow. And, um, I can imagine. Yeah. And he's right to your head and exactly. And he had a bit of a background of just being a live and let live kind of guy, free spirit, um, little bit into the party and back in high school. And, Mm -hmm. um, and once all of that fame started coming in, he just, you know, it, the, the wheels kind of fell off the wagon, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, he had a really good friend of his um, who kind of started acting as his quasi agent, and he <laughs> would, you know, all any like any requests for like stuff would go through him, and then ended up um, aiding and abetting uh, Johnny in um, getting paid to sign autographs for memorabilia and stuff like that. Isn't that it's not, super illegal. I was just going to say, wait back a then, today it's no big deal okay, because name image likeness in college passed and the, the Supreme court ruled that, um, that uh, they're, um, by NCAA, um, they, they basically ruled against the NCAA and said that you, if you, um, continue to not let these athletes get paid. Mm-hmm. You're violating monopoly laws, and we're going to start coming down on you with some serious sanctions. Um, okay. Justice Kavanaugh ruled on that, and um, so the NCAA is just kind of like throwing up their hands and say it's the Wild West now. Y'all can do what you want, but back then they were very against student. Like there were that would have been yeah yeah student athletes were student athletes, and they couldn't get paid no matter what. Even though they I have paid it on, professionals, yes, right. I have it on the record that. Um, uh, a friend of a friend who used to play for Ohio State said that it was very common for them to 
you know, get to the locker room after a game and there'd be a 500 bucks in their shoe or something like that. That was like a very common wow. thing. Well, so, I, you know what, really, they play in so good. Yeah. Well, I love college football. And I, I understand the, I, the illusion of it being amateurism. Right. But when you have, you know, they sold in one year, they sold like $45 million worth of memor- like Johnny Manziel merchandise, and he isn't legally allowed to receive a dime, and the right, university is just pocketing school, right? all Doesn't this Doesn't that money. all go to the school so, or the yeah, football program? So that's program? antitrust vi- law violations, you know, monopoly wow. laws. So anyway, so he starts, his friends start signing him up for all of these autographs. I would too. It's like, here, come signings, on, we're go do this. And they were getting paid cash and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when... They when he started um, getting ready for the draft, they had his agents advised him to cut ties with this guy Mm -hmm. and um, and so that he could have a, quote unquote, more professional image because they were he was investigated and did come under scrutiny. And and basically his buddy ended up being the fall guy saying that, you know, it was his idea. It was my idea. I was doing everything when in reality they were they were in it together Um, because there's no repercussions for his friend because he wasn't playing sports. So he's just like. You know, I'll just take the fall for you. Well, it turns out that because of that, when he decided to go pro, they got an agent. He cut ties with this. They advised him to cut ties with this friend. Mm. And that's when everything started to spiral out of control because he didn't he had all of these issues that and his friend was the one that was checking up on him and Mm -hmm. kind of being there for him. And and I don't think that they really touched on it at all. But like, Mm. that's what I saw is because there's a direct correlation between when he cut ties and when Johnny completely, you so know. So does he become not a good person after that? Like what, I mean, does he suffer from so depression? Johnny, what does so he, do? he became, so he went to, uh, well, he had all the talent in the world, but by the mid second year, he was completely uh, out. He got cut by the Cleveland Browns. He got drafted by the Cleveland Browns. He played mm-hmm. a season there. And then halfway through the second season, he, um, you know, on a Saturday night, he went to Las Vegas and got, plastered and he missed mm-hmm. the game on Sunday and then they cut him and he hasn't been back in the league since. So, so um, does fame go to your head? Does, mm-hmm. does he's also the, bi- bipolar. That was another thing that, that was, was brought up. up. Yeah. Um, and he, and after he got it. cut, like he, um, he probably spiraled. He, he attempted suicide, mm-hmm. um, was unsuccessful. Uh, the, he, the gun didn't go off and, mm-hmm. uh, wow. So, so yeah, it was just a very, Long belabored story, just to say that that support it w- is, is needed, isn't, and having eyeballs on somebody who's struggling because is, it's got to be someone that that person respects too, though. Right. I mean, the reality is everybody was watching him, right? I mean, he was probably a spectacle, mm-hmm. but nobody truly was validating him and saying, "Okay, mm-hmm. I see you. I see you're struggling. I yeah. see that you." You need a little help with this right now. And this kid is hanging out with Drake and LeBron James and Justin Bieber. He was a celebrity at 20 right. years old. His parents, I mean, they they basically were just like, you didn't want to listen to us Mm-mm. at that point. No. And I have, I mean, I think as a parent, you do have to take this step back and just watch the show, mm-hmm. which is so hard uh, to do. Yep. It's so hard to do. But we're not cutting the cord. Nope. I'm not cutting the cord on my kid. I still am connected emotionally, mentally, maybe not physically because I can't be in the same space, but you you have a connection to someone you love. Mm-hmm. And what's so valid about mental health is that 
you can really have long bouts of healthiness. Mm -hmm. You can have long bouts of just feeling good, doing what you're supposed to be doing, showing up. And then one day something happens and you can slide back and like all those good skills that you've got in place, they disappear. And what stays the same or consistent and what helps people get through it, especially someone is knowing that they have a strong support system. Mm -hmm. Because mentally, you don't know what's going to be that trigger. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know what's going to set you off or bring you back into a dark place. But I do believe that right now in my business, what I'm seeing is a lack of empathy. We talked about that earlier, that people just are not being empathetic to those that are suffering. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of like, well, if it's not happening to me, like it's your problem. I'm not holding you, you know, I'm tired of it. Mm -hmm. And then they go and do their own thing. And that's more isolation for people mm -hmm. that are suffering. So the option would be to have maybe more than one person being your backup. But if that's not available, I mean, you do have to feel connected to something. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, uh, it is unfortunate that I am seeing an increase of that in my business right now. Mm -hmm. Seems to be the lack of empathy is, is kind of widespread. Which is interesting because I feel like in our society today, there's all of this like lovey-dovey stuff and, you know, the, you know, you got to, you know, be tolerant of other people and. Tolerance and, and open-mindedness. Yeah, two that's very there. different things. Yeah, they really yeah. are. And, but like at the same token, I think that's like very superficial, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I don't think it's coming from a genuine place. No, I think it's, I'm going to agree with you if I believe in it. Right. But if, mm -hmm. if it's, if we're in different mindsets and I'm right. just going to cut you out. Right. Well, like for instance, tolerance in, in the way that they're describing it is because like if, for instance, you say that, hey, um. I sh I just started uh, doing heroin and it's making my life like really awesome and I love it. Oh Intolerance is is me saying, "Hey, that's awesome. You keep doing that." But like that's no. not that's not that's not in your best that's not true friendship. Like if mm -hmm. I was your true friend, you started doing heroin, I'd kick your ass and say, right. "Hey, what the hell's wrong with you?" Right. Um so I feel like tolerance Nobody's has gotten to the point where it's just like, "Hey, you c like People in your circle, people that you love, you just let them do whatever they want to do, and you and you have to be okay with it. And that's that's not friendship. That's mm -mm. not that's not love. Mm -mm. Um, that's love that's enable. It's enabling. Is, love is the tough one, right? Yeah. Enabling is allowing something that you know is bad to continue. Mm -hmm. So when we enable people, and a lot of people don't understand codependency or co or enabling, it's allowing something to continue when you know it's not in your best interest or the person's best interest. Mm -hmm. But the fear of disappointment, the fear of getting rejected, the mm -hmm. fear of um, being confrontation. hurt. Confrontation. Oh my God, what yeah. are people afraid of? I mean, confrontation, like as a, <laughs> I do have to laugh about this because I don't have training in this. I just grew up in an Italian family. We all just screamed yep. at each mm -hmm. other. There was no avoidance of confrontation in my family. It's like you faced it. You talked about it. 
you called each other names and you had your fight and then you were hugging 15 minutes later. I love you. Yeah. Like, I mean, my family, we don't avoid anything. Like if there's a problem, we're going to talk about it. We're going to scream about it. We're going to be bitchy about it. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to be like, I love you. You're the best sister I ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just we, we find a way to just forgive, even though we're pissed at each other. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like one thing, like if you have a fear of confrontation, it like I did, like that mm-hmm. was a big thing for me. I, it's I, huge. I really used to be a go along to get along person mm-hmm. and not ruffle any feathers. That was kind of my thing. And, and it's one thing to be like, you know, to to say something like in public, like for instance, if, you know, somebody, if I order something in, at a restaurant and they get my order wrong, like I'm like, there's some people that would be afraid would never to say anything. bring anything right, up. Right. Um, me on the, that like, that wasn't necessarily me, but, but that's for, not confrontational. Sure. That's asking for the right meal that you ordered. Sure. But like there would, there would be, there are people that would see that as, oh, it's confrontation. Having, oh, as, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't yeah. like on that spectrum, right. but for right. people that I had relationships with, I didn't necessarily want to be confrontational about, hey, you're doing this. I, I don't like that or something along those right. lines. But the one thing, which is hilarious to be an umpire and to have, uh, and to, I've probably done over 200 games in the last two years and having a fear of confrontation. But one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, if you're an umpire and you have to make a close call, there's going to be confrontation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when you have something as low stakes as like a JV baseball game and having to deal with confrontation on that level, knowing that it's not a big deal. But you're not taking it personally. Well, but then it's almost like a muscle that you can start building. Right. So you have all of these little moments of confrontation and environment mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm never going to see any of these people again. So even if I piss somebody off, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um so, so is it more about being more comfortable with yourself? Because I think what's interesting about avoidance of confrontation is the fear that you're going to be rejected mm-hmm. and knowing that, okay, I'm somehow responsible for other people's feelings or for emotions. Sure. Yep. I mean, that's what confrontation for me is happening in my, with my couples is that they're shutting down. They don't even want to say their truth. They don't want to even admit that they're upset or that they have a problem, mm-hmm. but that can, that contributes to the problem mm-hmm. because then now you've stonewalled me. You put yeah. up this wall. You're not communicating with mm-hmm. me. You're not telling me how you really think and feel. And that leaves me isolated and I'm in this avoidant state. Mm-hmm. And now I'm have to come up with like language for you. Mm-hmm. So confrontation doesn't have to be a massive fight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to lead to that. Right. What it has with to be is... Two he- now, here's the, the key. With two healthy people, <laughs> confrontation doesn't have to result in a giant fight. That is correct. And when one or both of the people involved are not mentally healthy or in a good place, mm-hmm. that little confrontation can blow up into a massive ordeal. And, and yes. so just an example of this, and, and I don't think she'll mind me saying this, but when Chloe had really bad postpartum depression mm-hmm. um after uh after Claire was born eight eight seven eight years ago um lasted about 18 months and that was time. a stage where any sort of confrontation would end up turning into a major altercation mm-hmm. and I d- had no idea why mm-hmm. so 
I know now, but at, in the time it was just like, what why the are hell we fighting? Is going on right, about, right. Yeah. We're fighting about this. Yep. So I think that's I think that's valid about not understanding where someone is coming from mentally, right? Like you have a perception of where you think someone's at, but you're just trying to get your point across. Mm-hmm. You're just and I think it's the owning. Okay. So why is it important to say how you think and feel? Because that's being honest and authentic. The problem is, and we've seen this with Facebook, is that everybody feels like they have the right to say how they think and feel. And we're having all this conflict with strangers because we're avoiding intimacy. We're actually avoiding getting to know someone or understand someone from their point of view. And (laughs) I'm just seeing a lot of that right now, which is frustrating for me because I I don't want people to feel like they can't talk or, or have conflict in their family. It's abnormal to think that you can't have a conversation in your family and then it's always going to lead to something like a major blowout or a big fight or, you know, you're going to walk away. The other day I had a person got locked out of the house. Like that's the kind of shit I did when I was 12 with my brother. Like we'd run around the house and lock all the doors. (laughs) You don't do that shit as adults. Like that's kid stuff. Like it's amazing to me that some of the things I'm hearing right now is kid-like behavior in adults. That's interesting. It's frightening. Mm -hmm. It's really, as a therapist, I've been struggling lately. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been struggling with my responses, my professionalism. I I mean, I know I'm burned out, but (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is beyond burnout. It's beyond, there's like, I don't know what reservoir I have to pull from that can teach people this is ridiculous like Mm -hmm. you know like how do we stop i have a suggestion (laughs) you didn't help justin (laughs) and if you are a guy and you've listened to the show at more than one episode you know that i am very much on the side of the fellas and most yes you you are political socioeconomic um, cultural debates, if you will. I'm very much for the fellas, but I am going to call my fellow men out on this. Um, if you are over the age of 21, 22, you need to, you need to put the freaking video games down. I cannot. It it's such a you know men behaving like children, or you know I'm mm-hmm. I'm specifically calling out my fellow men on this. It's one thing to hang out with the fellas once in a while, play some video games and, um, you know, once a week, maybe twice a week. Um, you know, if that's your hobby and you want to do that once in a while, go for it. Right. But when video games is your, your, your release, uh, that's, and, and you, it's something that you do every day. It's not a healthy habit to be in because. It- but but I'm I'm of the it is if it's something that that I mean, I don't know. I don't want to call that's a blanket statement, right? It is because there's I'm some painting people, with a broad brush. Yes, you on are. This. Because but there are I, but people at the same time out there I'm, that really validate their game playing. And I'm I'm all for any hobby that takes your time that that you can go and do that can decompress you 
and put you in a better state of thinking, okay? Mm -hmm. Because that's what we're looking at. I want people who know how to regulate their emotions. So Mm -hmm. if you play video games every day and that's helping you regulate your emotions, I don't want to say stop. But if you're someone who's playing an aggressive video game and then that aggressive. aggressive continues when you leave the game, that's the part I'm concerned about. That's what I feel like we're running into. We're talking about this. So um, I'm going to I'm going to push back you know? on sh- on the professional here. <laughs> and Go I'm going it. to So if you mentioned earlier if there's a something that you find that you can do that helps you decompress and that's how you and and that's justifiable. That's a, hel- that, that's a healthy coping mechanism. Right. But I think that you can like coping mechanism and and I think that further validates my point is like when when you're when you're when you're having something that when you have to a coping mechanism i feel like is something that you have to 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 pull out once in a while but if you have something in your life that's causing you to need a coping mechanism day in and day out there's something in your life that you're not dealing with and you need to get to the root of that problem um, because if Good you're, point. if, if your coping mechanism is playing vid- video games for three hours a day, I don't care if your coping mechanism is going to the gym four hours a day, there's something in your life that you're, you're not addressing Avoiding. and you're burying. And it, there's, there's something that you are not satisfied with in your life. And, um, coping mechanisms, I feel like are designed. It's like, a it's, it's like being a concealed carry pistol holder. It's like, it's something that you have in your belt, but you shouldn't have to use it every day. Um, if right, right. Like, I, I, yeah, I agree. I so get it. I get it. My, and another thing too is like, okay, if you're, if what you need to do every day is to decompress is to go home and smoke weed again, I'm, I'm pro marijuana. Like I'm not against that in and of itself, but like, But what is it taking you away from? Exactly. So instead of addressing the things in your life that you need to address, you're burying yourself into um, a habit and into a habit, into video games, into into the gym. And and all things being equal, I think it's probably healthier to go to the gym two hours a day than to play video games two hours a day. I think, you know, there's a strong correlation between mental wellness and physical wellness. Mm -hmm. So um great connection one of my favorite quotes from a a movie it's uh um uh, there's a movie called forgetting sarah marshall and it's a it's a rom-com it's great movie um (laughs) you know i don't think i've ever seen it russell brand is in it Kristen uh, bell it's hilarious you you gotta watch it um uh what's his name uh jonah hill Mm. um back when he was still kind of chubby um hilarious movie um, there's a sequel to that called Get Him to the Greek, and the main character in that is Russell Brand, who plays a rock star who's a former drug addict, and um, and he's sober now, but he still kind of has that party animal rock star energy, and he's having a conversation with his ex-wife and trying to figure out why things didn't work out between them, and he mentioned, he's like, I've been, I've been sober seven years now. And she's like, yeah, but you do f- yoga four hours a day. You can turn you can turn anything into heroin. Mm-hmm. And that that wow, um, that was such a pow- like it was a throwaway comment in a movie, mm-hmm. 
but I I watched that movie six years ago or something like that, and, and I still, still remember, remember that. Because that's true. Anything that you do repetitively that keeps you from engaging with people, that right. becomes your addiction, that becomes your, your identity. Your identity. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. You can't have an external thing become your identity, who you are as a person, because at any given point in time, that can be, that taken, can away. be taken away from you. Um, like like a professional, like if your identity is tied up in playing a sport, there's going to come a time when you can't play that sport anymore. Mm-hmm. Somebody is going to tell you you can't play the kids game anymore. Right. Um, well, I, can, I could even bring this back to Jackson. I will always be a parent. I wasn't a parent for the last six months. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because that's my kid, I had no contact with them mm-hmm. to be cut off. I mean, I don't identify myself truly as a parent anymore mm-hmm. because my kids are of age, mm-hmm. but you know, right. I'm still always going to be a parent. Right. And so when we cut ourselves off or we put ourselves mm-hmm. in categories, mm-hmm. we have to make sure does that transcend time? Right. Yeah. You there's lose a only, lot of time. There's only one thing and not to get super, you know, religious here, but there's really only one thing that you can put your identity in that won't go away. And I'll leave it at that because I could put my identity, my identity into being a husband Mm -hmm. and then my wife could get hit by a bus tomorrow and Mm -hmm. then I'm not a husband anymore. I could put my identity into being a father, but at some point my kids are going to grow up and move out of the house and that role is going to change. It does. I it could put my identity totally into, into being a mortgage broker that yep. I am right now and I could get fired tomorrow and I'm not a mortgage broker anymore. So like you can't you can't have your identity in anything that is um that anything malleable, anything that could change beyond your control otherwise you wake up one day and you're like, "Oh shit, who who am I?" right? But I think that's part of our problem in society is that we are defined by our education. Right. I have a lot of men that have really fantastic jobs, but without college degrees. So then they have this imposter syndrome, like, how did I get here without a degree? Like, we put all this value on education. Of superficial things it's that su- don't matter. Right. That absolutely. Because what matters showing mm-hmm. up and doing a good job? Mm-hmm. You know, being there, being being consistent and having the ability to think on your feet like I would. Why are we not promoting like common sense? Mm -hmm. I think the education system has just it's whack in the United States. And Mm -hmm. I'm I feel for teachers, especially with all the kids going back to school recently. Mm -hmm. That's coming up. And so maybe that's why my business is like exploding right now. But um Back to school is always kind of a big transitional time for people. Mm-hmm. It's hard for families to, you know, break out of that school mindset that they have to get into, break out of the summer mindset. Mm-hmm. So there's a big transition that, that's happening. But we to bring it back, because we're probably running out of time, I really want to talk about if you have someone in your life that you know on occasion that struggles from anxiety or depression check in with them and at least like you said that support being someone's mind being someone's control we can't do that to other people we're not responsible for how other people think and act i mean i had to lovingly let jackson go this year Mm. and just send him wish well you know uh it's called loving kindness where you wish well for the other person even though they're not in your life but we can do that to everybody. That's the power of prayer. Mm-hmm. Like you say good thoughts or have good intentions. But I want people to know that it is important that sometimes we need to just 
be in a bad mood like this. <laughs> we can't always be happy. Mm-hmm. And that's unrealistic too. Yeah. And, and it, I think the hardest thing is, is when you love somebody who is struggling with that and they either stiff arm you or lash out. Mm-hmm. It's hard to not take it personally. Right. That's the hardest part. It is. And that's where the self-awareness comes into. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to say, am I carrying their pain or is this my pain? Mm-hmm. I, I am not responsible for anyone. As mm-hmm. a therapist, as an, as an individual, I have learned through my crazy Italian family that I'm responsible for me. Like we did not get all punished at once. Yeah. Like my mom and dad were like, you did this. You did that. Like they pulled us out individually. Mm-hmm. And I like the individual responsibility that I've had to, you know, figure out and and take responsibility. I know when I'm feeling something, it's my ability. I've got to rein it in. I've got to think about it. I've got to control it. Um, so <laughs> it's not always easy. It's definitely not always easy mm-hmm. to control yourself or to... Um, because I, I'm, again, I don't want to, everything to be a negative self-talk, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not always our fault, but we're not responsible for how other people think or feel mm-hmm. where we contribute to it, but we're not responsible for it. Mm-hmm. So again, living with the mental illness is about being kind, being empathetic, and then also taking time for yourself and really recognizing that you do play an important role in someone else's life. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky enough to, if you're lucky enough to have friendships, if you're lucky enough to have family, make sure those people know that you love them. And that's through kindness. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. All right. Well, I miss being at, in the studio so this is so great to be back with Justin we're probably going to be taking another long break just because I'm going to go on vacation Um, and then we're going to bring this back and try to get into the rhythm in the fall so I appreciate everyone who has tuned in we have some great shows coming up and thank you so much for tuning in 